The presidential motorcade had just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. Congress sees the American citizen's shadow and it's eight more weeks of troops on the Capitol building lawn. I'm Adrian Slate. Thanks for tuning in. Why are the troops still there? I mean, you know, they just passed through the House H.R. 1. Now, H.R. 1 takes away the Electoral College. H.R. 1 codifies mail-in voting. H.R. 1 also takes your, your money, your taxpayer money, and uses it as a match to political campaigns. So you could be indirectly paying for the candidate that you oppose. You'll be paying for things like the Green New Deal, the Paris Accords, reparations, even though you don't support it. It's amazing. So why do you think they stole the White House in the Georgia Senate races? You wonder why there was a, quote, threat to the Capitol on March 4th? Well, it's because the House passed H.R. 1. They're consolidating power. And they're afraid you might have a problem with that. It's why they built this giant barrier, barbed wire barrier around the seat of America's government. This is... It's why they're keeping thousands of troops there, because they're going to fundamentally change the entire nation's foundation by this year alone. I keep saying there's not going to be a 2024 election, especially if they get all this information by. If they get all of what they want put into into place. (laughs) And, you know, Vox, not Fox, but Vox with a V, you know, the crap take uh, central, crap take central or crap take today the McPaper part two, um, Vox said, there's a dangerous, uniquely American form of skepticism on the rise, and it's sowing doubt in verifiable realities such as climate change, COVID-19, and the 2020 election. Uh, Climate change is BS. COVID-19 is not nearly as bad as it is. It is for people over 75 and and people with uh, comorbidities or pre-existing conditions or something that could be exacerbated, but it's not killing people like Ebola, and the 2020 election was stolen. You know what? Let's listen to this. Now, this is amazing. This interview, I'm going to cut it up because I want to get point out a couple things, but this is with uh, Good Morning America, I think it is. The guy, whoever the, the freaking commentator is, he's got jokes. He got jokes, yo. He thinks he's a comedian. Um, his jokes are pretty freaking lame, but when you listen to the beginning of the interview, this is the QAnon shaman, right? Remember, we found out he's a climate change activist and he's not a Trump supporter. He's not even QAnon, but they want to call him QAnon, much like Officer Sicknick got hit in the head and died from a fire extinguisher head wound, which he never was hit with a fire extinguisher. But we talked about that on the last podcast. But listen to this. This interviewer, First off, she's not even interviewing. She's chastising the guy. And then she doesn't even listen to what he says. She kind of makes up her own narrative and her own translation of what this guy is saying. And she does it to just hear herself speak. But listen to this QAnon guy because he sounds like he doesn't sound like a Trump supporter whatsoever. But he does sound like somebody that's got a little bit of empathy. Maybe he's like a Marianne Williamson or, you know, who was that chick that uh, I saw today talking about the car? She was on The View. She's, uh, let's see, it is uh, Secretary uh, Granholm said, I drive a Chevy Bolt, which is an electric vehicle. I don't have to buy gasoline. The average person that gets an electric car saves 600 a year because you don't have to fill it up. I have solar panels on my house, so I drive on sunshine. Yeah, that's kind of what this QAnon guy sounds like. And he's just sympathetic to the fact that the media has been taking crap sandwiches and feeding them constantly to Trump, whether he likes it or not, during his entire four years as president. So let's listen to this little back and forth and really kind of pick it apart. 
A judge will hear arguments tomorrow on whether the man known as the QAnon shaman should be released before his trial. Jacob Chansley was arrested after the January 6th assault on the Capitol. You see him there in an outfit that would get you in trouble in a 7-Eleven, let alone the Capitol. He's got face paint on. He's got horns, buffalo skin, coyote skin, a lot of fur. Okay, wait a minute. Apparently, you haven't been to a 7-Eleven at 2 a.m. I mean... When the drunk frat kid comes in wearing the Burger King crown, carrying a ninja sword, and he goes to buy a big bite, and he wants to see if it'll bounce off the floor to check for its freshness. Yeah, that's how crazy it gets at 7-Eleven. So the QAnon shaman guy, I could totally see him rolling in. That's not a big deal, but let's get back to it. He's telling his story for the first time from jail as he faces some very serious charges up to 20 years behind bars. Chansley spoke with Lori Siegel for the brand new streaming program, 60 Minutes Plus. A little overzealous with the sentencing, you think? Let's get back to it. Your actions on January 6th were an attack on this country. Do you understand that? No, they were not, ma'am. My actions were not an attack on this country. That is incorrect. That is inaccurate entirely. How would you describe them? My actions personally? On January 6th. My actions on January 6th, how would I describe them? Well, I sang a song, and that's a part of shamanism. It's about um, creating positive vibrations in a sacred chamber. I also stop people from stealing and vandalizing that sacred space, the Senate. Okay, I actually stopped somebody from stealing muffins out of the out of the break room. I also said a prayer in that sacred chamber because it was my intention to bring divinity and to bring God back into the Senate. 20 years for going into the Capitol and stopping somebody from stealing muffins. <laughs> but it could be Joe Biden, you know, who some 40 some years ago just rolled into the Capitol and uh, got arrested. But he wasn't in for 20 years, was he? What was that like, uh, walking into the great Senate chamber at 29 years old? You know, I walked in when I was 21, and I got arrested. I was a, it was a Saturday. I was down visiting some friends at Georgetown University. And uh, I came up on a Saturday morning because I was fascinated with the Senate. And they had a Saturday session. I walked up those days, no guards stopping everywhere. And they just got out of session. I walked in the back. All of a sudden, I found myself in the chamber, and I was stunned. I walked up, sat down in the presiding officer's seat. Guy grabbed me by the shoulder, said, you're under arrest. Yeah, still didn't get 20 years for that, right? (laughs) It's unbelievable. But did you notice how she starts out with this castigation? She's just chastising the guy right off the bat. You know, it was an attack. And she she keeps going back to the January 6th because this is their 9-11. They want to pretend like, you know, a couple old ladies uh, with some Gadsden flags and some Yeti cups filled with Chardonnay rolling in after the police wave them in that this is some sort of... uh, uh, equivalency to somebody who is burning alive and decides the best way to get out of this is to dive 85 stories to their death. But let's get back to the narrative building. But Jake, legally, you were not allowed to be in what you're calling the sacred chamber. And that is and that is the one very serious regret that I have, was believing that when we were waved in by police officers, that it was acceptable. So you were waved in by police officers. Now, did Nancy Pelosi join you and give you the tour? Did they step up to the door and go, open Sesame? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Open Biden. In order to open these doors, we do not say open Sesame. We say open Biden. That's our magic word. (laughs) Open Biden. I love it. That is the worst idea I've ever heard in my life, Tom. Yes. Yes, it's horrible, this idea. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. I say open Biden. What the hell are you even talking about? Yeah, that actually happened. That was the most cringeworthy thing I've ever heard in my entire life. So we added the little office space and Billy Madison ending to that just to kind of give it more gravitas to the stupidity and cringeworthiness of that clip. Uh, But back to the 60 Minutes piece. Do you still believe you're a patriot? 
I consider myself a lover of my country. I consider myself a believer in the Constitution. I consider myself a believer in truth and our founding principles. I consider myself a believer in God. And see, when he's talking about the Constitution and, you know, the founding of this nation, that doesn't have to be left or right. You know, he's definitely not the typical, I believe in Trump. He's going to save us. It's not the MAGA America first. He's not. He hasn't said America first one freaking time in the entire interview. But we are led to believe that this guy is a QAnon guy. I haven't heard trust the plan. I haven't heard him say these people are going to go to jail. Uh, they're going to face execution and get None of that stuff. None of it's been brought up. Back to it. Lori Siegel is a 60 Minutes Plus correspondent and the founder of Dot 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 Media. Lori, good morning to you. We should add, while he was protecting those muffins, he also had a flagpole with a spear point at the end that prosecutors say was a weapon. Uh, and he wrote a note to Mike Pence saying justice is coming. So clearly the shaman contains multitudes. What surprised you the most? Yeah, I think what was uh, interesting, especially at the end of this interview, he was shouting, see me, see me from prison. Um, and, you know, this was one of the most seen men in America on a day that was a stain on democracy here in America. And I said, well, what do you want people to see? And he kept saying, I'm, you know, I'm not violent. I'm peaceful. I'm a shaman. But then you put those images, what you were just talking about, you put those images together. And that isn't an image of you know, of peace. This is the new face of extremism in America. So you have to pay attention to it. I love how they want to get, they really want this guy to be a QAnon guy. It's amazing. So like, what is he, what was it like hanging on every word of Donald Trump? And he's like, I just thought the media was mean to him. And I kind of felt bad for the guy. Does that sound like any MAGA person to you? I mean, I've talked to many of them, even back when I wasn't down with Donald Trump and uh, was was supporting Ted Cruz. And these people were you. We we can't let Hillary win. Donald Trump's the only one that can fix this. And they were definitely more fervent of Donald Trump. They weren't just sympathetic to the media bashing them. This guy sounds pretty. Uh, I don't know, pretty docile. When it comes to being a MAGA guy, he doesn't sound uh, all American first, but back to it. Yeah, you have to pay attention to it. It's hardly letter from Birmingham jail, but it is relevant for the following reason. Like many others that day, Jacob said he was there because he thought that former president Donald Trump, quote, had his back. Let's take a listen to that part of the interview. What was it about Donald Trump that you felt so fiercely loyal to? That you hung on every word and you interpreted his words in certain ways. I developed a lot of sympathy for Donald Trump because it seemed like the media was picking on him. It seemed like the establishment was going after him unnecessarily or unfairly. And I had been a victim of that all of my life, whether it be at school or at home. So in many ways, I identified with a lot of the negative things that he was going through. And I honestly believed uh, and still believe that he cares about uh, the Constitution, that he cares about the American people. And that's also why it you know, wounded me so deeply and why it disappointed me so greatly that I and others did not get a pardon. Do you regret that fierce loyalty? I regret entering that building. I regret entering that building with every fiber of my being. But you don't regret the loyalty to Donald Trump. No. Interesting, Lori. So he's not loyal to the president today? No, he, he said, you know, behind bars, he says he still is loyal to, to Donald Trump. I think what's so fascinating to me is he is holding so tightly onto those beliefs that put him in jail. You know, he believed that Donald Trump had his back. He said to me over and over again, you know, and he's still behind bars. And when we're talking to him, you still hear some of these conspiracy theories. He doesn't believe uh, that the election was won correctly. He believes that it was fraudulent, which, of course, it was not. You know, and you begin to really understand the depth of the conspiracies, uh, you know, that that happened, that this man showed up on January 6th. So it's interesting to try to understand how we got to this point. And I think it's important to understand how we got to this point. I, I agree with you. I think the outfit can make you smile, but the situation itself is very serious, and it's important that we understand why it happened, and this is part of that. Lori Siegel, thank you very much. You can watch Lori's full story. And Again, you, so are, you were loyal, right? <laughs> Lee, uh, objection, leading the witness. 
I mean, you were very loyal. You do, do, do you regret that loyalty? He's like, no, I regret walking in trying to save the muffins and getting 20 freaking years. <laughs> I mean, this guy is a climate change activist who was at BLM marches. He is not a QAnon guy. And we've, we played this clip on a couple podcasts ago, but if you're new to the show, let's listen to it again, because this is where you go. Think of the MAGA people you've heard. Maybe you saw them on Right Side News. Maybe you've seen them. Well, you won't see them now because YouTube has banned Donald Trump's CPAC speech and has also banned uh, Right Side Broadcasting's YouTube page. They said they're going to put it back up in, uh, as soon as the threats of violence are gone. So judging by the fact that we fortified the Capitol, we're going to probably have it fortified for four years under these fake uh, these fake terrorist attempts or, you know, uh, planned attacks that never come to fruition because they aren't happening, like the one that was supposed to happen on March 4th, um, maybe we'll get to see that video at some point after Biden is out of office. But yeah, listen to this guy talk and ask yourself, if you were at a rally, you know, a MAGA rally, if you were, uh, if you were at the first inauguration, would you hear somebody talk like this guy and think that this guy is a MAGA supporter? Just listen to Mr. Climate Change, quote, QAnon Shaman. Some video of you dancing and doing your music. Let's talk about the spiritual aspect of what you do. And you'll probably do a little bit here before we get kicked off today. Sure. So um, what I do is I practice something known as shamanism. And in shamanism, they sing, they dance, they drum, and they inform the community. They dress up in a way that chases off evil spirits. The singing and the drumming is about chasing off evil spirits because uh, sound actually precedes electromagnetic activity. So when you sing and you drum, especially when you do so really loudly, you end up affecting the quantum realm. And this has been being done for thousands of years to ward off evil spirits, ward off negative timelines, and to basically bring positive energy. So part of the reason why I dress this way is because if we were going to have have like a uh, infiltrator or something like that. They'd be a witch. They'd be a sorcerer or something like that on the dark side. So I practice life magic. I practice the light side or the positive side of shamanism. And when they see me, they go, "Oh, yeah, we got a we got a big fish out here. We yeah. better not try and stir things up." Well, yeah, I think he's hanging out with uh, Marianne Will- Williamson, <laughs> looking for like essential oils and crystals, healing crystals and what have you. Not a MAGA guy. But he kind of looks like he is from the Neanderthal area. And apparently getting rid of the mask, like a lot of states are finally starting to do. Texas is getting rid of it. Mississippi's getting rid of it. Connecticut's getting rid of it. Um, you know, the COVID-19 scales are falling from America's eyes finally. Uh, I would say probably nine months overdue, but, you know, better late than never. We're going to finally get our country back, and people are probably going to go back to normalcy. But it, you know, Biden's got to uphold the ruse by saying those who want to get rid of masks are Neanderthals. Texas and Mississippi. I think it's a big mistake. Look, I hope everybody's realized by now these masks make a difference. We are on the cusp of being able to fundamentally change the nature of this disease because of the way in which we're able to get vaccines in people's arms. We've been able to move that all the way up to the end of May to have enough for every American, to get every adult American to get a shot. And the last thing, the last thing we need is Neanderthal thinking that in the meantime, everything's fine, take off your mask, forget it. It still matters. I carry a card and I don't have it, I put it on my desk. As of last, as of yesterday, we have lost 511,874 Americans. We're going to lose thousands more. This will not occur. We will not have everybody vaccinated until sometime in the summer. We have the vaccine to do it. Getting a shot in someone's arm and getting a second shot, you're going to take time. And it's critical, 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 critical that they follow the science. Wash your hands. Hot water, do it frequently, wear a mask, and stay socially distanced. And uh, I know you all know that. I wish the heck some of our elected officials. And in a stunning move of offensiveness, the Neanderthal Museum needs to chime in. They tweeted out, Dear Joe Biden, we approve of your criticism 
concerning the decision to end statewide mask mandates. Still, we strongly recommend you visit our museum once it's possible. Hashtag Neanderthals. We're smarter than you think. Hashtag coronavirus. Hashtag museum. Hashtag science. By the way, they're rescheduling. I don't know if you knew this. They're rescheduling the insurrection. It didn't happen like we thought on the 4th. So they've said that they are going to reschedule it till the 20th. At least that's what Newsweek said, um, which is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> but that's, what, that's how they operate. They just make up lies. Yeah, QAnon threats or QAnon theorists switch date to March 20th after no Trump inauguration call the 4th a false flag. <laughs> These people are absolutely insane. But we did get a reemergence of Trump. He actually has a statement out. This is great. Listen to this. Statement by Donald J. Trump, 45th president of the United States of America. Carl Rove has been losing for years, except for himself. He's a rhino of the highest order who came to the Oval Office, lobbied for 5G for him and a group. After a lengthy discussion with Carl Rove and Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, I said, no, they're not qualified. Our nation can do much better. On the evening of November 3rd at 10.30 p.m., Carl Rove called to congratulate me on a great win. I said, thank you, Carl, only to watch the rigged election take its final form. Carl Rove's voice on Fox, um, it's always negative for those who know how to win. He certainly hasn't helped Fox in the ratings department, has he? Never had much, never had much of a feeling for Carl in that I disagreed with so many of the things he says. He's a pompous fool with bad advice, always has an agenda. He ran a campaign for two senators in Georgia and did a rotten job with bad ads and concepts. Should have been an easy win, but he and his friend Mitch blew it with their $600 versus $2,000 proposal to the public. Carl Rove would be much more at home at the disastrous Lincoln Project. I heard they have a number... I heard they have numerous openings. If the Republican Party is going to be successful, they're going to have to stop dealing with the likes of Karl Rove and just let him float away or retire or like Liddy Bob Corker and Jeff Flakey Flake and other uh, others like Toomey of Pennsylvania who will soon follow. Let's see what happens to Liz Cheney of Wyoming. <laughs> oh, he goes on. This is great. If it weren't for me... The House would have lost 25 seats instead of gaining 15. It was a shock to everyone and almost cost Pelosi her speaker position. Likewise, 8 to 10 senators would have lost their position, including Carl's friend Mitch, our wonderful leader, who would rather spend his time fighting me than Pelosi, Schumer, and Sleepy Joe. In the last year's congressional primaries, 120 of the 122 candidates I endorsed won. And the two that lost were beaten by people claiming to be more Trump than their opponent. In the Senate, I was undefeated in the primary endorsements with a record of 21 to 0 and close to that in the general election. 31 million people listened to my CPAC speech online, which is now YouTube uh, removed it. <laughs> Amazing. Um, going back to it. And... It had among the largest television audience of the week, even though it was on cable at 4 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon. Carl Rove is all talk, no action. Next time, Carl, save your election night phone call and keep doing a great job for the Democrats. Fox should get Carl Rove and his ridiculous whiteboard out as soon as possible. <laughs> right. You got to love Trump. I mean, even without social media, he gets to come back and lob bombs <laughs> from the distance. And of course, they're going to have another lawsuit thrown at him. Eric Swalwell, the guy who was banging a Chinese spy. This guy, Swalwell, he's the, the douche canoe that is uh, the puppet for S Speaker Pelosi. Um, yeah, he's on the House Intelligence Committee, but he was banging a Chinese spy. Well, he's decided he's going to levy a new lawsuit. Um, he was the impeachment manager, too. Imagine that. Second lawsuit seeking to hold Trump and his allies Donald Trump Jr., Rudy Giuliani, Representative Mo Brooks, alleging that they're responsible for inciting the riots at the Capitol, which we obviously have shown was BS. Saw another video today with a guy with that John Sullivan dude who is obviously Black Lives Matter, and they're in the Capitol meeting up, laughing, amazed that they're actually in the building. 
But, you know, are we going to have fortified elections? Is Trump, I mean, it sounds like Trump might run in 2024. Are we able to even have that election? I don't know. With the way things are going, I keep saying 2024 elections won't happen because the global movement is happening with all of these businesses, with your Warren Buffetts, your George Soros, BlackRock Financial, uh, all of the Merrill Lynch and what have you down the line. They're all moving to a global union with the global reset and the U.N., But if we do, it's going to take things like what they're doing in Georgia and, you know, with with getting voter ID, you know, they're doing that with absentee ballots. It's going to take things on the local level. Look at what's happening in states. States are going to have to set the narrative because they can control their state, even though we're a union of states. Federalism is what it's always been about. Operate on the municipal level, operate on the state level. That's where real change happens. That's the only way to beat back the Democrats right now. And we have GOP and conservative governors, and they're, they're operating, even some that aren't even that conservative. Arizona governor just announced a new executive order requiring public schools to offer in-person instruction by March 15th. Check that out. How about this? Effective March 19th, Connecticut is lifting all capacity limits on restaurants, retail, libraries, business services, indoor recreation, gyms, museums, offices, and houses of worship. And it's not just those items related to coronavirus. Alabama Senate votes to make hormone therapy and surgery for transgendered youth a felony. (laughs) I mean, the Mississippi House passed a bill banning transgender student athletes from female sports. The bill's already passed the Senate. So we're doing things on a local level, Um, even though on the federal level, it's all buttoned down. You know, we're going to have to make everybody live in fear and wear a face diaper, and we're going to scare everybody about a QAnon attack on the White House. But then when you see what they're doing down at the border, 108 illegal immigrants in Texas who tested positive for COVID reportedly released So you lost your business, your child lost his mind, enjoy your new America, your new normal, if you want to go that route. But it looks like states are actually taking the push and making the difference. And that's what's happening in Georgia with the voter ID. Um, And this has one individual really fuming. Look at this, Newsweek, Georgia GOP declared open season on black voting rights. Representative Hank Johnson says, that's right, Hank Johnson, he's the guy who said that Guam would tip over and capsize. He's also the idiot when faced with the shortage of helium a few years ago, which would affect, yeah, it might affect balloons, but it would affect rockets and MRIs and various other things. Listen to him make the case for why balloon or why helium needs to be a focus. This bill which shows that this Tea Party Congress will make the tough choice to keep children's birthday parties on schedule and give industries that rely on helium the lift that they deserve. Imagine, Mr. Speaker, a world without balloons. How can we make sure that the injustice of there being no helium for comedians to get that high-pitched voice that we all hold near and dear to our hearts. Imagine a world without balloons. And finally, we're going to do something for the American people, and we should all pat ourselves on the back for that. (laughs) So... So we can have balloons at birthday parties and and comedians can make that funny noise. This guy is a moron. And that's who's running your policy. Morons like Hank Johnson, like Sheila Jackson Lee. I think she's the one that was like when they were asking about the, you know, flag planted on the moon. She's like, where's the they were talking about Mars. Where's the flag planted on Mars? You're an idiot. There was no flag planted on Mars, you moron. But. That's, that's what we're dealing with here. We got to realize the fight is going to be huge and it's going to take 
we on a state and local level, that's where all of this happens. On a federal level, they're going to hide in the Capitol buildings, passing crap like HR1 behind barbed wire fences, installing puppets for their leadership. If you are in a red state or you have a purple state, you know, I'm in Virginia. We're looking pretty blue, but it's only because of Northern Virginia, which actually Loudoun County and some of those counties flipped over to to red. What's going to happen in the next election? I don't know. We might not have a Democrat governor anymore. We might not have a Democrat lieutenant governor and uh, attorney general. All those fools are, are leftist morons here in Virginia, but the majority of the state is red. And if that happens, then we can move ahead towards either governing the way conservatives want on a state level, or we get to a point where a convention of states is our only way out. Back in a moment. This is Adrian Slade. All right, they're going to make me do it. You know what? I'm probably the one millionth person on the right who has talked about Dr. Seuss books being canceled, right? Because I didn't really want to get into that. I kind of had some other things I wanted to talk about. Of course, everybody under the sun had to talk about it. It was all the rage online. Um, but there are some there there are some instructive things about it. But then there's also some aspects of the whole situation that no one really talked about. Now, this is from the AP. Six Dr. Seuss books won't be published for racist images. Six Dr. Seuss books, including and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street and if I ran the zoo, will stop being published because of racist and insensitive imagery, the businesses that preserves and protects the author's legacy, said the other day. Now, of course, people were pointing out that Mein Kampf is still being sold on eBay, to where I pointed out that if I ran Auschwitz was actually still being sold too. And then somebody else pointed out that there was a book called... I. <laughs> I've got a swab in my thingamadoo <laughs> because apparently that's how the Chinese are detecting coronavirus for foreigners. They're swabbing their rectums. They're taking a Q-tip to their rusty sheriff's badge. But this is uh, going back to the AP story. These books portray people in ways that are hurtful and wrong, says Dr. Seuss Enterprises. They told the Associated Press in a statement that coincided with the late author and the illustrator's birthday. Ceasing sales of these books is only part of our commitment to our broader plan to ensure Dr. Seuss Enterprises catalog represents and supports all communities. <laughs> they always want to support all communities. The other books affected are McElligott's Pool, On Beyond Zebra, Scrambled Egg Supra, or Super, and The Cat's Quizzer. The decision to cease these publications and sales of the books was made last year after months of decision-making, the company told the Associated Press. Quote, Dr. Seuss Enterprises listened and took feedback from, the other, from our audiences, including teachers, academics, and specialists in the field as part of our review process. Now, keep in mind, Loudoun County and Virginia were the ones who decided they were going to do this because they wanted to cancel Dr. Seuss. And I keep saying, you know what? People go, oh, well, it's a... It's a private company. They can do what they want. It's private business. No, and listen to this. There's capitalism and there is rejection of product due to bad content, due to failure to deliver on what the ideas behind it are. There's, uh, you know, bad quality, whatever the case may be, a group of people getting together over time to withdraw money because it's an awful product, that will do it on its own. And that's capitalism right there. Because if something is worthy of succeeding, it's because multiple people find utility in it. This is lynch mob organizing. This is pitchfork, you know, uh, uh, Torches in hand going down in an organized group to lynch a company over an idea that probably the majority of the people that use this company or utilize its services or enjoy its content don't feel the same way about. But that little group that is still a group, it's still a unified front, 
they're given legitimacy over the masses, which is why we don't want a direct democracy, by the way, which is why we were talking about H.R. 1, eliminating the Electoral College, why that being a bad thing. You know, we talked about local. Local is where it's at. West Virginia just said they're opening up 100%. COVID-19 lockdowns are dying on the vine right now because, well, of course, the COVID negotiations are happening in the Senate right now on relief. So if you were a state that decided to knife your citizens' businesses and put your citizens and your constituents' families' well-being, uh, mental well-being in peril because you decided to close all the schools down, well, you might get bailed out if this bill gets passed. You know, it passed the House because the House is a bunch of friggin' douche nozzles. In fact, Kristen Cinema, uh, well, actually, she's in the Senate, but the House passed this thing because they're going to pass whatever they want because they have the majority. Thank you, Georgia. But... Well, actually, Georgia was a Senate runoff, too. But thank you, uh, Kamala Harris, for being a tiebreaker. Um, when it gets into the Senate, they're going to rip apart what they're going to rip apart, but they're also going to leave things in there that benefit the lefties on both sides because we're dealing with the unibrow. Kristen Cinema, who is the uh, bisexual uh, uh, senator from Arizona, who actually... Actually, it's kind of funny. Everybody was like, oh, she was all about $15 an hour minimum wage hikes back six years ago. I think she's listening to her constituency because Arizona is putting its foot down. So if she's going to succeed as a senator and get reelected, she's going to have to represent what? The people who voted her to represent them. Well, she got out there, walked out in the middle of the Senate floor on the vote of $15 an hour minimum wage hikes said, nope, gave a thumbs down and went and walked out in her schoolgirl dress because she's kind of slightly sexy in that. But anyways, um, going back to it, the decision making should be on the consumers, not on special interest lynch mobs, but that's what's happening with Dr. Seuss right now. So the decision to cease publication and sales um, they say it's due to the audience, but no, it's not really. Um, books by Dr. Seuss, who was born Theodore Seuss Geisel, or Geisel, I'm sorry, I'm just botching that name, in Springfield, Massachusetts on March uh, 2nd, 1904, have been translated into dozens of languages as well as in Braille and are also sold in 100 countries. Now, I liked what Tucker Carlson was saying about it because he kind of seems to think the reason behind the elimination of, you know, the Sneetches, the book about the Sneetches that Dr. Seuss wrote. They don't have the yellow stars anymore because it was a, it was a way to rectify his past to go, Hey, uh, yeah, we sided, I sided with communism and I sided with whatever. Um, we shouldn't be identifying people as groups like they did with the Jews in Nazi Germany, but you know what? Hey, Let's throw that out the window, because if we can eliminate these books, then we can turn around and say uh, racism is systemic, right? We can't teach our kids anti-racism. We can now remove all of those fixtures and just teach them racism. And it's kind of a backwards thing. It's like, you know, Bull Connor hosing down people in the streets because they're black. Well, then we'll just undo all of that and we'll try to tell the black community they're being mentally hosed so that they turn around and will revolt against the majority of the Americans who are white. And that's kind of what seems to be happening. And I think Tucker Carlson's right in that regard that they're using that. That's the reason why they're canceling them, not because of racist things that they said, but because it illustrates in Dr. Seuss's works anti-racism and how to think outside of that paradigm. But that seems to be something that we're just going to tossed to the side. And of course, they're not throwing cat in the hat out, right? They're not throwing the Lorax out. He's a communist bastard. Anyways, I didn't like the Lorax. He's always, I speak for the trees. Yeah. You're, you're that little troll hippie with the long beard and the long hair is doing the drum circle is wanting to save the planet and your Subaru. I'm done with you. What the Lorax can go to hell, but my thing is the money makers for Seuss Enterprises, Cat in the Hat, the Lorax, Hop on Pop, 
Yeah, all of that stuff, that ain't getting canceled. It's going to be like, you know, I, I ran a zoo or Mulberry Street or some obscure book that nobody ever freaking reads. You know, I mean, are you my mother? Yeah, they're not getting rid of that because it would have to be remade into, are you my uh, gender nonspecific uh, parental, parental figure? I don't know. But that's where they're going with this. But what's interesting was they took the focus not only on Dr. Seuss, but they wanted it on Curious George. They wanted it on uh, Babar the friggin' elephant. They wanted it on all types of children's books. The Curious George one really threw me for a loop, especially when you find out the backstory behind Curious George. From the New York Times, Curious George almost didn't make it onto the page. A new book, The Journey That Saved Curious George, The True Wartime Escape of Margaret and H.A. Ray, Houghton Muffin or Mifflin, I think that's the name, <laughs> tells of how George's creators, both German-born Jews, fled from Paris by bicycle in June 1940, carrying the manuscript of what would become Curious George as Nazis prepared to invade. The book's authors, Louis Borden, said in a telephone interview from Terrace Park, Ohio, that she first spotted a mention of the Ray's escape in Publishers Weekly. Quote, but no one knew where they had gone from Paris, the roads they took, the dates of where they were, the details, she said. Um, her account intended for older children is illustrated in whimsical European style by Alan Drummond and includes photographs of the Rays and wartime Europe, as well as H.A. Ray's pocket diaries and transit documents. For her research, Ms. Borden combed through the Rays archives of the de, uh, de Grummond Children's Literature Collection at the University of Southern Mississippi, interviewed people who knew them and traced their journey through letters and postmarks. Hans Razerbach was born in Hamburg in 1898 into an educated family and lived near Hagenbach Zoo, where he learned to imitate animal sounds as well as uh, draw and paint. During World War I, Mr. Razerbach served as the German army or served in the German army. Afterward, he painted circus posters for a living. After studying at two German universities, he went to Rio de Janeiro in the mid 1920s looking for a job. He wound up selling bathtubs on the Amazon. <laughs> Boy, that's, that's a gig. Hey, you want a bathtub down here on the Amazon? Margaret Waldstein, who was born in 1906, also in Hamburg, had more fight, uh, fiery personality. After Hitler began to rise, she left Hamburg to become a photographer in London, and in 1935, she too went to Rio. Mr. Reiserbach had first seen her as a little girl sliding down the banister of her family's Hamburg home, and now they met again, and they eventually married and founded an advertising agency. Margaret changed her name to Margaret, and Hans changed his name to Ray reasoning that Razorback was difficult for Brazilians to pronounce. Crucially, the two became Brazilian citizens. For their honeymoon, they sailed to Europe, accompanied by their two pet marmoset monkeys. Margaret knitted tiny sweaters for them to keep them warm, but the monkeys died en route. The Rays ended up in the Parisian neighborhood of Montemontre, where they began writing and illustrating children's books. In 1939, they published Raffi and the Nine Monkeys, Mr. Ray drew the illustrations, and his wife helped write the stories. Hans initially had sole credit for the books, but eventually Margaret's name was added. Quote, we worked very closely together, and it was hard to pull things apart, she later said. Hans was a fanatical record keeper, listing expenses and details about their work in the tiny pocket calendar. And in 1939, he began the story about the youngest monkey in Raffi, who was forever getting in trouble and finding his way out. It was called Adventures of Fifi. That September, war broke out. The Rays had signed a contract with the French publisher Guillemard for Fifi and other stories, 
and in a stroke of luck received a cash advance that would later finance their escape. By the time the Germans marched into Holland and Belgium in May 1940, the Rays had begun a book of nursery songs in both French and English. Songs in English very slowly because of the events, Hans wrote in his diary. With refugees pouring in into Paris from the north, Mr. Ray built two bicycles from spare parts while Margaret gathered up their artwork and manuscripts. They then joined the millions of refugees heading south while German planes flew overhead. The Rays found shelter in a farmhouse, then a stable working their way by rail to Bayonne, and then to Biertes by bicycle again. They were Jews, but because they were Brazilian citizens, it was easier to get visas. One official, perhaps thinking that because of their German accents they were spies, searched Mr. Ray's satchel, finding Fifi and seeing it was the only children's it was only a children's story, he released them. They journeyed to Spain and then to Portugal, eventually finding their way to Rio. Quote, have a very narrow escape, Mr. Ray wrote in a telegram to his bank. Baggage all lost, have not sufficient money in hand. The couple sailed to New York in October 1940, and Curious George, as Fifi, was renamed. The publisher thought Fifi was an odd name for a male monkey and made his first appearance the following year. The Rays wrote a total of eight Curious George books. Hans died in 1977, Margaret in 1996. The ensuing George books were created by writers and illustrators imitating the Rise style of art. Like Heinz Reiserbach and Margaret Waldstein, Ms. Borden concludes, the little French monkey, Fifi, would change his name and would become one to remember. So while they're sitting there talking about, let's get rid of Dr. Seuss. Now, Dr. Seuss had this one picture that was really kind of problematic, but this was back in the early days. It said something to the effect of, take home a high-grade N-word for your woodpile. Satisfaction guaranteed. And there's a white guy going in. There's this guy in a suit and tie who has a collection of black individuals that he has on a bleacher that maybe he's auctioning them off. I don't know. But from my understanding is that, yeah, he had those cartoons back in the past, but he had an epiphany. He had a change of heart. He had a change of mindset. Isn't that what the left wants? Do they always sit back and go, well, you know, you're not good people. You know, you're hateful. You're not inclusive. When does redemption come for the left? Now, on the right, us followers of Christ, we know redemption comes when we have given our life to the Lord and made a change. When does that happen with the First National Church of Gov, the sanctuary that the QAnon shaman or shaman, whatever you want to call them. I, I say shaman just as a joke. Um, when do they recognize reconciliation? When do they recognize forgiveness? They don't because like the old adage says the left, the right looks at the left as people with bad ideas. The right looks at the left as bad people with ideas. That's why you have to be canceled. That's why you can't be on parlor. That's why you have to have your books banned. That's why you have to be run out of the, of the Barry Weiss news media space. That's why you have to turn around and apologize like the host of The Bachelor and say, oh, I went through a re-education camp because there is no reconciliation. There is no forgiveness. And they're going to sit there and focus on things. I'm going to cancel Curious George because the man in the yellow hat is a white guy and he shows white privilege and he's going to buy a little monkey and that's a little black guy. Never mind the fact that we just talked about how it was Nazi Germany that led to the creation of this story. And that these people were fleeing the Nazis. Never mind all of that. Let's, and this is a perfect example of how if you don't know history, you're going to take surface value content and you're going to eliminate it and, or demoralize it or excuse it or banish it 
because of your ignorance. You don't know the backstory. You don't know what led to all this. You don't know the history behind it. You don't know the history behind why the Founding Fathers came to America, why the pilgrims left to worship the Lord, why Jamestown turned into a socialist nightmare and then into capitalism. You're not going to know any of these things because you're just going to go off of the narratives. Well, you know, it was, it was black people that came here in 1619. No, no, that was a slave ship that just showed up here at, you know, what, Newport News. I mean, at Fort Monroe. No, that wasn't 1609. That wasn't, even though the founding of America happened much later, the seeds were planted early on. So everything about this cancel culture BS is because a lynch mob is coming after it and you have to reject it and you have to stand firm in your rejection of it. And you have to realize that's the bullying. This is the party that says, well, we have to teach our kids not to be bullied in school. We can't have them bullied. We have to teach everybody to be equal, equal because you know what? Because shame convicts them every day. And so the shame of the things that they do convicts them every single day. And then they think they're being bullied. And there might have been some bullying back in the past. But what they're doing right now is ultimate bullying. It's bullying the right into siding with the left. And they're going to take every possible way to make it happen. And the political grifters are going to use it. They're going to exploit it. They're going to say there's a threat on the Capitol and the QAnon shaman is the one, even though he's not a QAnon shaman and there is no threat on the Capitol and the bullying is political consolidation of power. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. You can check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker. You can also get it on iHeart, TuneIn, Spotify. Um, check out the the blog, adrianslateshow.com. You can be a part of the show. 1-929-GO-GO-USA. You can record a message. You can go to anchor.fm slash adrianslade, record a message there as well. And you can also support the program financially, adrianslateshow, anchor.fm slash adrianslade. We'll see you guys next time. God bless.